0: This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert. Welcome to Season 6 of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince & Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince & Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, joined once again, Reunited. This is where I should cue the Peaches and Herb track. <laughs> reunited, and it feels so good, with my man, Adam Brown. He is hailing from the great city of Austin, Texas. He is the executive strategist. Of Salesforce Marketing Cloud after a one week uh, hiatus uh, to do whatever he was doing. Uh, Adam is back on the show, my friend. Welcome.
1: Jay, it is great to be back. I missed you last week. I was somewhere over the air in uh, between here and New York City where I spent last week. Great to be back. Great to be back in Austin. What a beautiful time of year it is here. Is it beautiful where you are? Because I know where our guest is down in Hollywood, Florida. It's spectacular.
0: You know, it's uh it's been a little crazy last couple weeks, uh, but this weekend is is going to be top notch here in uh, in America's Heartland. So uh it is about time. Uh and I cannot cannot complain. Speaking of time, we have what a segue. how about that? That was professional, right? We have fantastic guest on the program here, episode two hundred and sixty-seven of the Social Pros show. Uh Tim also is the media director of watchyouwant.com watchyouwant.com which is America's preeminent seller of pre-owned luxury watches luxury watches ladies and gentlemen from 3500 American dollars to 10000 American dollars and up would you buy one of those on the website you better in know no you would, would. <laughs> a lot of people do a lot of people do and it's because of the amazing work in content and social of our guest today Tim welcome to social pros Thank you so much,
2: Jay, Adam. I really appreciate this. This is cool. I'm used to being like hands on camera. So my hands are famous. My voice is kind of monotonous. I'm going to strike a balance between the two here.
0: <laughs> you do an awful lot of uh, YouTube and in other video watch demos, which we'll talk about. Uh, and you do have nice man hands. Are you like the Costanza of the watch business? You're like wearing <laughs> oven mitts all the time, you know, say so you got to be careful of your hands.
2: You know, it's funny because uh, Danny Goffberg of Goffberg Jewelers, he bought the company in January 2016, and he decreed that I would get a manicure every week, and so it has been.
0: Hey, you know what? As long as that's a write-off for you, I think that's a good gig.
2: Hey, gets me flyer miles. Can't complain.
0: So tell us a little bit about that. Transition. So what was the company like before he bought it and you came on board and how have you shifted it in, well, you said January 2016, right? So you're only talking about, what, uh, 16 months, 17 months, something like that.
2: Uh, Yeah, it's kind of interesting to compare and contrast because I've been with the company Watch You Want since June of 2014. Previously, I got out of the Navy as a public affairs officer in 2013, uh, spent a little bit of time rehabbing a bad knee, and then I decided, you know what, I wanted to get into the watch industry in earnest. Watch You Want being pre-owned a little bit off the beaten path, principally internet-based, was very receptive to my proposal of an aggressive multi-front social media campaign. So when Goffberg purchased the company in January of 2016, they had perhaps the classical old school marketing plan. They owned a magazine called IW International Watch, and a lot of what they did revolved around pictures in the magazine. They purchased billboards in and around their headquarters in Philadelphia, and they ran ads on you know traditional media such as national papers national magazines and the luxury space lifestyle so Watch you want brought almost the entirety of the social media campaign that both companies now endorse uh goffberg with new watches watch want with pre-owned but everything's off of youtube instagram and facebook in terms of marketing now
0: And who do you compete with in the pre-owned watch space? Is it somebody, a jeweler in your town happens to have a few watches? Are there uh, big specialty boutiques in major cities that only have pre-owned luxury watches? Who would they buy from if not from you? I would have to say, as an aggregator, uh, we we look a lot at eBay
2: because there are a lot of small players sure. on there. So yeah. a lot of times, because on eBay everyone looks big time. If someone's offering a watch at the lowest price there, we have to make the case that you know against many independent smaller sellers that we offer the best service, the best product, the recourse if you don't like the watch. Uh, so the history really matters to us. We do find ourselves competing with everything from traditional brick and mortar who are tentatively embracing pre. Owned to larger, dedicated pre-owned dealers. You know, there's some like Watch Finder or Crown and Caliber that are like us, specialist in the Internet space. But our, our competitors really do run the gamut from traditional brick and mortar with a pre-owned case right down to the one guy who might have a particular watch that he's putting up on eBay. So it's a pretty broad spectrum of competition, and we really do have to do something different to kind of rise above the din of that crowded space.
0: I think the line on eBay, everybody looks big time. Maybe may the maybe the headline of this yeah. episode—that's uh, so true—and uh, and I'm sure a, a challenge. And so, what you do different? You said you got to do something different. Is dominating YouTube? I mean, among other things. But I mean, you guys are. On it, Uh, you have thousands of videos, right? Thousands of watch videos, and and you do a full run through, not only of all the inventory that you have, but other trends in the watch business. And and I want you to talk a little bit about how you do your videos, but also the part that I personally like the best, because it's exactly what I've been talking to clients about for a while, is you actually have shows, right? You almost have a television network that consists of your watch-oriented videos on your own YouTube channel. It is spectacular. Uh, can you walk us through some of the details?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the first and fundamental video that I do is The Talking Hands, and that's kind of just a name I came up with for a hands and wrist only shot where I start with the watch I mention the name of the company I call out the link to the actual listing so I do make a call to action that Favors a direct click through to our website via YouTube cards and then I basically just say here it is on my wrist Here's how big my wrist is here are all of the dimensions including the ones the manufacturers don't give you like the lug to lug Like the thickness of the case and then from the outside the buckle the strap and the case I work my way into the movement and I talk about what distinguishes this watch under the hood because when you buy a twenty thousand dollar car you can buy consumer reports motor trend road and track car and driver you can go to edmunds.com kelly blue book you buy a twenty thousand dollar watch a lot of times traditionally the manufacturers give you a little placard that they hand out at their boutiques or you can go and you can see maybe five lines of information about that watch on their website so i fill in the gap that it's not just absent in the pre-owned space but is absent in the watch market generally. And I like to think of it as the watch brought to life in about six minutes. And then there's the second class of video that I create. And this really evolved from Danny Govberg's call for uh, something where you could see my face. And I was at a total loss for this because I'd just been starting off at Watch You Want by duct taping my phone to the back of a chair, then kneeling on the chair and looming over it while holding out the watch. And so that I was able to film it on my wrist by doing that. Danny got me an SLR and a light box, but then he said, I wanna see your face. So I created a little set in a back room at our company, uh, set up a little wall, a desk, and I invested in a setup that I bought pre-owned. Every piece of this thing was remanufactured. And for about $9,000, I got myself live on YouTube. And I started producing these shows where I wanted to explicitly avoid, and that was always my brief to my team, let's avoid turning this into QVC for rich people. Let's educate, let's engage with the audience, answer questions live, let's talk about news in the industry and give our analysis and new models. Let's have watches on the table to show that we have real inventory. We're not using stock photos like many others in the inventory or in the industry when they're showing their inventory. We use real watches on the show, but we don't really talk about the inventory or sell it. We sell the brand in the broadcasts, the shows. The talking hands videos sell the watches. The broadcasts sell the company as something substantial, material, and because you see people's faces, it's also emotionally it's appealing. It's humane in a way that do you mean office. you're selling
0: you're selling your brand or you're selling that particular brand of watch?
2: No, I mean we're selling the watch you want brand. We've been around since 2001, but I'll be honest for the first uh, 8 or 9 years of the company watchyouwant.com was the name of an eBay seller and we didn't have a physical office till the end of 2008. When we decided that, you know, everyone on eBay, all of a sudden had figured out how to write a description, take good photos. And, you know, like I said, on eBay, everyone looks big time. So we needed an office, we needed a storeroom, we needed a, we we needed a safe that wasn't located in our founder's house. And so we slowly became a more substantial business, ultimately adding a sales floor with multiple sales personnel an operations department that brings in, inspects and keeps track of inventory. And then finally we built out an extensive watchmaking suite suite. It's not just one room, it's a suite. Uh, To the point where we are a full-service shop occupying two floors of a three-story building in Florida right now, in Miami. And the way to convey that this was a substantial business, not some people in their mom's basement was to actually have the broadcasts, bring on our sales personnel. Like Josh, he's a friend of mine and he's a great guest, Eric, bring on Nico, bring on Mike Michaels, our watchmaker. And so we were never pushing product there. That's where we were building the brand as authorities, as people who were accessible, you'd be amazed in this industry, how few companies will actually answer the phone when you call. You have to go to a machine and then if they're interested in what you're offering them, they'll call you back to buy your watch or they'll call back to sell you a watch. So being able to do a live chat on the Internet, I mean, that that's not just having a real person answer the phone. That's an entirely new level of interaction. And people who interact become very closely uh, attached and they identify with the brand.
0: It has to be because you're selling expensive, expensive watches that are pre-owned. On the internet, sight unseen, at least in three dimensions, the impact of these videos and you being a consistent presence on them and other people on the team has to be a massive driver of trust in the brand.
2: It certainly is. I mean, first, just being responsive, answering my emails, always answering the phone, meeting with clients in person when they're here, but also making the shows as interactive as possible and unpretentious. That's another thing. As expensive as the product is, people don't want to be sold an image. I find that that's one of the biggest problems with traditional marketing of luxury watches. A lot of times you're not just being sold the Breguet, the Patek Philippe or the Audemars Piguet. You're buying into an image that can put people off. It can seem even to someone who has the money to partake in the hobby, it can seem almost repulsive in some ways. So in addition to building the credibility of our brand through the broadcasts, we've also tried to convey that while the watches are expensive, Uh, the hobby is for everyone and you know you may start with a one thousand dollar pre-owned oris bc3 and you know that's the point of entry to the hobby it's not the kind of thing where you need to be a member of the club to get into this or you need to put on airs or embrace an image so we don't just make the brand relatable by showing real people and interacting we also try to make the watch hobby as accessible as possible and that's something that i brought With my own perspective, as someone who was on the outside looking in for a long time, there were a couple of times I almost gave up on the watch hobby because I just felt like, you know, this this is for people who smoke pipe tobacco and wear black rimmed glasses (laughs) and only drink wine. And I wanted to kind of diffuse that notion and just kind of blow that out the window.
0: I, I like that video, Pipes Not Required. I think that has that has real potential. Uh, I'm gonna turn it over to Adam here in just a second, but I wanted to ask you one question about amplification. So you obviously have uh, many subscribers to the channel now, so when you put a new video up, you've got that built-in audience, but the number of views that you have on your videos massively supersedes the number of YouTube subscribers you have. So are those coming from SEO uh, via YouTube, and or are they coming from social? So how do you, when you put new videos out, how are you amplifying them so that people are tuning in?
2: Well, we're doing it three ways. Uh, We're also, I mean, going to acknowledge that recommended videos and also YouTube search are significant sources of traffic for us. Google search, not as much. The YouTube internal search engine, much more so. So we're getting a lot of traffic from those sources. The other thing we're doing is we embed the video on the product page on our website. So if we have an FP Journe Elegant 48, I do a video of it that lives on YouTube where it casts its net as wide as possible, but then it's also on watchyouwant.com. So in addition to seeing the name of the watch and the photos that we take in our studio, you also see the video that's hosted on YouTube. So we do get a significant amount of traffic from people watching the embedded videos on watchyouwant.com. And then finally, amplifying the traffic to the videos is a product and a byproduct of using other social media. and I. I think I have a funnel philosophy whereby other social media that are perhaps broad but shallow in their impact Funnel people to the videos which are now very deep and involving and tend to get people hooked. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of these Help to promote the videos and it's not like we weight each one evenly those other social media really are vectors to the video.
1: And, and Tim, I, I I love the the funnel philosophy. I, I kind of call it the homeroom philosophy. That sometimes you pick one social media platform to be that main base, and then all the others can kind of be secondary or tertiary and drive traffic to it. And 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 certainly you have been phenomenally successful with YouTube. I know you just celebrated your ten millionth view uh, on YouTube, which is is nothing short of extraordinary. So so my question for you is. You're certainly going to stay with 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 YouTube. Is as as that is as that home room or is that funnel because it's 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 successful for you? If you were restarting right now in in 2017, would you would you be doing that? And would you can con- continue to use YouTube live video, or would you think about Facebook Live or or even another platform?
2: I think I would stick with YouTube for a couple of reasons. Right now, YouTube is a platform that's second to none. If I could go back and do it all over again, I would say that I would have pushed harder when I joined Watch You Want to make video and YouTube video in particular the number one focus because for the first eight months that I was here, I spent a lot of time writing blogs and text-based SEO based on, you know, posting a blog every other day, uh, just for the amount of energy and time that goes into it, just does not give the return. So I would have emphasized video first. I would have stayed with YouTube because its scope and its reach is unparalleled. You look at companies that have had success building almost exclusively off of YouTube. You take something like Revzilla out of Philadelphia. They're actually not too far from our Govberg mothership, but they built- Motorcycle an- stuff, right? motorcycle gear exactly just here it is here's a review they put the video on the product page on their website everything they do in social funnels back to youtube and so youtube became a sort of video catalog for their products that first of all got people invested in the brand and portrayed them as an authority even though in reality i mean they're an authority but you know they're inventory in a warehouse so all of a sudden they had what seemed like a home on the internet a physical presence at least in the mind of their viewers and they were able to leverage youtube almost as a marketing arm so i would have pushed much harder to go to video sooner and also i, I would have stayed away from other platforms where i just don't feel like there's sufficient return like facebook live It seems like it's the kind of thing where you're going to be cast among all sort of uh, detritus, you know, filming with a phone, low quality content, you know, a view on Facebook Live isn't equal to the length of a view on YouTube. It's harder to get a sense of how many real views and how much real exposure you're getting. And I can also tell you that in terms of markets, uh, in terms of demographics on YouTube, we don't necessarily have that. 25 to 55 core user demographic that we would love to have as our customer base we do have that on on YouTube. Facebook I should say we don't have that 25 to 55 year old uh, demographic base. YouTube we do have that. Also if you look at the geographic distribution on Facebook, it's very global which is not a good thing because we know as a as a business what our you know top 5 top 10 markets are geographically and those align very closely with who and where the users are on YouTube whereas with Facebook you know it's it's going to be a lot of 12 year old kids in you know places like New Guinea, which is great, but they're not buying our watches. So I'm glad that the next generation of watch enthusiasts is bringing up all over the world, but in terms of who they are and where they are on YouTube, it's almost one for one a perfect correlation to our actual customer traffic on the website and our customer base as we record them.
1: Talk a little bit about production value. I think Jay very accurately articulated the idea that you are selling a luxury product. And there's a need for that trust, especially when you're buying something pre-owned, something that does, in some instances, with with some brands, has a big counterfeit, you know, challenge. So there is that trust and that authenticity and genuineness that needs to come through. At the same point, you don't want to be overly polished or overly produced. Talk about kind of how you found that sweet spot of authenticity and high production value with both your live programming as as well as the uh, the, the the kind of um, you know talking hands videos. And has that changed over the years?
2: Oh, it definitely has. I think when we started out. This is another. This is definitely a regret from from a production standpoint. I would have done everything at a much higher level. If I could go back and start again, I never would have had you know a wrist pad that's you know used to cushion your palms next to a keyboard as the backdrop for my first 400 videos. I never would have started the studio broadcasts with uh, basically a snap together wood floor as the backing. Um, I, I actually put up a snap together wood floor on the wall behind me. And we were succeeding on both fronts, talking hands and early broadcasts, in spite of our production values. The set didn't look up to standards. Uh, you know, the camera initially was my stupid phone in a case. The The sound we had was subpar for the broadcasts so it's very important uh, to first of all do your best to look professional without being pretentious and also really take feedback from your audience because a lot of the improvements that i made in sound and set and even the routine of my talking hands when i started i didn't actually put the watch on my wrist I didn't talk about lug to lug dimensions or how thick the case was. I didn't do a very good job of holding the watch still long enough for people to see each angle. So the audience really told me what I was doing wrong. So being attentive to common threads, fielding emails, interacting with people in the live chat box during the broadcast. That's how I realized I needed to improve my production values and it continues. And, and they are my number one source of guidance because they' they are the lens that determines how I look regardless of what I think it's what they're seeing that is the reality and that's how I, I approach production values now
1: finding that that balance of production value is is one thing you know the the other challenge I know that anybody kind of in our space is a social pro who's wanting to get in into video live or or taped in earnest, is is workflow, and I can imagine a lot of our listeners listening, Tim, to you right now, going, "Gosh, thousands, three thousand, four thousand videos, doing a live show three times a week. I can barely get one video uh, a month, you know, out." Talk a little bit about workflow, and, and, and both from a technical standpoint as well as an operational standpoint. You, know, you have, for, for many of these years, been doing this solo. You're now kind of growing your, your team there at Watch You Want. Talk a little bit about, about how you, you actually approach this and, and get into a cadence of, of not only you know, the strategy of when to put videos up online, but secondly, how do you actually get these things out the door?
2: Okay, so the, the live shows, we've accepted that they're never going to be perfect, so we don't script them and we don't edit them. That helps. The, the other thing in terms of workflow, and this this is maybe the Achilles heel of my approach, so much of it has actually centered on my ability to do one take talking hands videos with no editing, no post-production, absolutely no alteration from the time I turn the camera on to the time I stop recording. So We've tried to get other people to do these talking hands videos and, you know, they would need five, six, seven, eight takes to get through six or seven minutes on a watch. So it's been difficult to duplicate that. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I have an ability to do the videos, the product showcases, one take. And so I can do, I, I've done up to 15 in a day, six-minute videos. Uh, the, the real challenge, I think, is... The creative process that keeps everything rolling. How do you keep it fun? And that's where I, I bounce ideas off my, my new teammate Federico. And he's also from the social media space. He's also a watch enthusiast. And I think that collaborative process helps us to build up uh, basically the germ of an idea for each live broadcast. I would say as far as creativity goes, collaborate. Bring in someone else who can who can act as a second opinion, who can help to add some diversity, break up the writer's block. You know, basically just help to stir the drink if it starts to ice over. When people are having trouble getting one video out, I feel like at that point, you've got to bring in a second set of eyes, a second brain, and a second opinion. Because you can't do it alone. And even when Federico was, when when he was solo in New York, I know he did a lot of collaborations with other men's lifestyle and wristwatch content producers in YouTube around the New York metropolitan area. So he, he was definitely on board with that idea that social media, even if there's one voice or one kind of front man, needs to be a collaborative effort. And that's how you'll manage to increase your volume by divvying up duties, but also by Making the creative process collaborative, and I think that can help you beat beat your production goals and do more than one person. I don't mean just one plus one equals two. I mean potentiation along the lines of like one plus one equals four. That's how that works when you build a team.
1: Well, certainly, Tim, that that whole creative concept that you just mentioned is is so critical, and I think one of the reasons for your success is is that you are truly a, a storyteller. And, and I think that's one of the things, you know, in full disclosure, I'm, I'm a bit of a watch nut and have been, have been watching uh, Tim and, and Federico uh, for for years uh, as they've done their respective things. But the whole category is really a, about storytelling and you do a great job of that. And, and that's going to be something I want to talk about after the break. But one more question before I, I hand this over to, uh, to Jay. We're seeing so many uh, social media professionals who are saying, yes, I want to get into live video, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on YouTube, but live streaming video. And you know, with one device, your iPhone or your mobile device, it's so easy. But I know you've kind of gone to that next step where you're actually have you know, doing you know, camera switching, multi-camera setups, you're doing lower thirds and graphics and things like that. And as you, you mentioned before, you've been able to do this pretty inexpensively. Any tips for, uh, for those who are thinking about either doing kind of a studio setup or a multi-camera setup in terms of the technology or the, the strategy for getting that technology that you've been able to learn over the past you know, six to 12 months?
2: Absolutely. First of all, uh, YouTube Live is the, the launch pad for anything you want to do in video social media that's live and to a high standard. Right now, Facebook Live, you know, I, I just I don't feel too good about it other than capturing a brief, maybe 60 second short from a party the company throws or a client event because the production values are low and it's mostly the domain of people with cameras in tablets and phones. YouTube Live now. You want to open up a YouTube account, you want to have a channel, you want to contact companies like Blackmagic Design, Livestream, and also Wirecast. And those three can set you up with an array of hardware and software solutions that will be able to... Produce the same on-screen effect that I've got there is one important qualifier though that everyone needs to keep in mind Doing live with any kind of on-screen graphic a Chiron a picture-in-picture or a switcher you need to have a high-speed fiber optic or satellite internet link because no matter how well, you understand YouTube and how high tech and capable your hardware array, the pipeline is going to determine whether or not the people receiving that video are receiving something unwatchable or television quality. And there's a whole spectrum of where you can be in between those two poles. I want to be TV quality and so I have I'm lucky I have fiber optics.
0: Yeah, I use Wirecast myself and I've had that exact same issue where sometimes the video through the camera will not sync exactly right with the external microphone uh, and it's purely a bandwidth upstream issue and that can be a little bit of a problem.
2: Yeah and you know you do need to I mean there are certain marquee pieces of hardware Uh, maybe after the break we could talk a little bit about what have been the, uh, the bottlenecks in my hardware setup but the big one is that you can't even get off the block without an exceptionally high bandwidth fiber optic or cable or satellite setup
0: let me ask you a follow-up on that do you feel like well l- let me ask you a different way how long have you been doing youtube live versus youtube
2: well i just got a notice from wirecast that i will need to renew my subscription for the next year so i'm i'm Coming up on my 10 month anniversary, so 10 months I've been doing live and I really had, I was my own IT department when I put this together. So the challenge was to figure out how to make it work, how to make it look good enough that we wouldn't be damaging our brand by doing it, you know, Half measure, and uh, the thing about YouTube is that you can upload from almost any device, and as long as your lighting and your sound is good, the video is going to be pretty satisfactory. Yeah. Like you, could, you could absolutely use a phone to make the videos that I make with an SLR. On YouTube if you have my light box which is some simple Manfrotto stands and studio lights and diffusers and if you have a a decent acoustically clean environment without background noise you can make anything I've ever done with the talking hands including my minute repeater videos but to do live you really have to make sure that when you press stream you've done your homework to make sure that the set looks good yeah the sound is excellent sound is so important because sound can turn a high quality production into a parody very quick if it's not set up and then you've got to fight the lighting and lighting is my biggest challenge because i can control a light box because it's the size of you know um you know it's the size of an egg crate whereas a room with fluorescent lights and bed You know bad reflective angles glossy enamel paint on the walls I'm fighting all sorts of battles with the light to make it you know to make the picture image look all right Everything from the alternating current frequency to the weird reflections of the walls to the fact that I've got You know LED lights fighting with the fluorescence at the same time Uh, You've got so much more homework to do when you go live and then here's the only purpose of doing live and You got to remember this the only purpose of doing live Is spontaneity the interaction with your co-host or guest, and the interaction with the audience? If you're not taking questions and doing something that is unique to the live format, i.e., impossible, you know, just not necessary or impossible with a recorded format, there's no need to do live. If it isn't spontaneous and interactive, live is 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 just a technical brain suck and a waste of time. So that's the end result. That's exactly
0: Um, what I was going to ask you about. Is 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 why why live versus recorded, and you nailed it even without prompting which is because you were actually taking questions from the audience in the comments during the broadcast you're interacting with your co-hosts uh things that you you couldn't do with the same kind of panache if it was an upload
2: exactly And know that there are some I'm, I'm not gonna name names but there are some media outlets in the watch space that very pretentiously and assiduously cultivate an image and they want that veneer of i guess like praetorian august authority but you know you've got that praetorian guard of self-conscious image and it's incompatible with live like when i'm live i've done stuff that's incredibly goofy like josh and i flubbed a high five Josh is one of my co-hosts from the sales department We flubbed a high five that was called the most awkward high five ever and completely <laughs> awesome because of it And I you know, I wrote in the comments after the broadcast. I take full credit for that That was all me like those moments don't happen when you're editing and trying to cultivate an image So if you are the type to want to cultivate an image, you're gonna lose control of that when you do live because you can't script it And a lot of times you're gonna embarrass yourself. You're gonna make a mistake You're gonna have to start over you're gonna misspeak Freudian slip whatever Um, so if you're fluid enough and I think unpretentious enough to do live in the luxury space, then you're going to get a tremendous amount of credibility from it because it, knocks the whole, it pegs the whole thing down a notch without going low class or off message. You stay luxury. It, it's a privilege. It's fun. It's special. But at the same time, you make it relatable. And at the end of the day, we want someone to both A, be able to afford the watch, but also be a able to make the leap of faith and you know, find it in his heart to embrace the idea of buying a $6,000 watch because that's a purely emotional purpose. And I think the live format connects with that in a way that recorded, edited, and staged does not.
0: Well, and you want them to buy the watch from you as opposed to from a number of other people who may have that watch or a similar watch. And so at some level, if they have an affinity for you and your co-hosts and the company, then that kinship hopefully drives purchase to you as opposed to, to other brands or other other outlets.
2: Absolutely we're selling I mean on every level of marketing emotion is important But when you're talking about and let me be frank here like ten thousand dollar man jewelry You really have to connect with that person in an emotional way because it is a 100% emotional purchase someone buys, you know a Honda Civic SI. That's partly a necessity, transportation, that's the Civic part, and the SI, the sportiness, the sporty model, that's the emotional part. Our product is 100% emotional. You have your phone to give you the time. Yes, it will keep better time than a Rolex. Yes, a smartwatch will do more than a Breguet Minute Repeater, but the live format creates a pathos that is completely absent in any recorded format whether it's faces on camera or just my talking hands and that's what live gives us it gives us the emotional appeal that goes above and beyond overcomes the skepticism the disbelief and the cynicism of the viewer makes them laugh disarms that sort of suspension of disbelief and then we connect very immediately on an emotional level that does sell us as a brand and also the product we have to offer
0: Adam and I have experimented a couple times with doing this show live, and now you're convincing me that we should go back and do it again. Maybe we should definitely
2: I think you should because yes, you'll lose a little bit of control of the message. And, you know, if you've got like a bloviating windbag like me, I might just go on and on and on. But at the same time, you guys have such a great dynamic and I think you do a great job steering the discussion. So I think this show could survive about with live. Well, this isn't a heavy.
0: This isn't a heavy edited podcast anyway, (laughs) uh, because we want it to be authentic. and, And nor do we want to spend like an enormous amount of time editing at the sentence level and some podcasts do that and and that's fantastic that's their show we just haven't ever gotten in that so we'll think about it there's some new technology out there that might allow us to make that happen a little bit easier
2: I would also say if you're going to do live there has to be some sort of added value factor and for me that's always been the interaction with the audience right so yes exactly
0: live comments absolutely
2: yeah taking questions and maybe throwing two or three to the guest that would add a dimension to the show that makes live just as valuable as it is to me on camera on YouTube
0: Yeah. What do you want to ask Tim? Exactly. So speaking of things that are trustworthy, things that speak to luxury, things that are $10,000 man jewelry, those things are also Salesforce marketing cloud, maybe not man jewelry, but Salesforce marketing cloud who employ Mr. Adam Brown have some terrific new research that you need to download. Ladies and gentlemen, it is called the 50 standout best practices for social media marketers in 2017. 50, not 49, not 72. 50 best practices for social media marketers in 2017, which is probably everybody listening to this show right now. Terrific ebook, really interesting. Several things I'd never even thought of before. So well done, Adam and team. Go to Thank c c and c dot slash get social ebook. That's C and C, like convince and convert, C and C dot slash get social ebook to download that. Adam, back to you.
1: Jay, thank you. And Tim Masso, uh, Media Director, Watch Specialist, Chief Orology Officer of Watch You Want. It is so great to uh to to have you on the, the show. This is this has been a treat, and you've given us some significant insights for all of your social me- media activities and especially, uh, video and, 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 streaming video. Jay and I typically call this section of the show, uh, Tim, the, the origins, uh, section where we kind of find out more about you. It's almost like a Barbara Walters special. But uh, I'm curious, Tim, how you kind of got into the space. You mentioned that, uh, that you, had, uh, you had spent uh, you know, a, a part of your career as a, as a, as a public information officer uh, in the, uh, the U.S. Navy. Talk a little bit about kind of how you got into marketing and communications and at what point you began to realize, hmm, there could be a career here and a career that intersected both
0: your, your skill sets uh, as well as your, your passions. Oh, and I noticed in your background, Tim, that you, like I, am a political science major, which makes for a very interesting current uh, political climate in this country, but I didn't get into the watch business or the Navy, so somewhere we diverged after our uh, (laughs) poli-sci
2: studies. I think I maybe maybe gave me a great place to start there. Uh, first day of first term of my first year at college, I had a uh, Panerai PAM forty titanium luminor on the desktop of my old Dell. Uh, so that that was my my first computer in college, and day one, I had a picture of a watch there. So the journey. So you idea are watch started-
0: nerd from way back. Like you
2: are old. You are OG watch nerd. Yeah, I I would say I started as a watch geek and I became like a watch nerd. And then I became like a like weird science level watch nerd. I I think I took it to like, I I took it to like reanimator levels, I think at some point.
0: (laughs) You can so, probably yeah, like and you. My son is this way with sneakers. Uh, he's he's like a sneaker savant and, and can see any sneaker in the world and immediately tell you everything about it, when it was made, how it was made, how many they made. And I and I presume you can do the same. You just see somebody's watch in the airport. You're like, oh, that's a blankety blank, blank, blank. And you know everything about it.
2: Uh, yeah, and, you know, it's funny. When you be, when you become known for it, people actually preempt you. Like when Doctor Strange came out, there's a Jezre LeCoultre Master Thin perpetual calendar in it, and it plays, like, a role in the plot. You know, he's broken physically, and it's broken, but he accepts that. Uh, so people were carpet-bombing my email with questions about Doctor Strange's watch. So it's like I don't even get the chance to, like, spy people's watches at the airport anymore. My phone melts down with questions from people who watch the show. And so I, I don't even get, like, the pleasure of kind of, like, like being voyeuristic of the world around me. The world comes to me at this point. It's it's a little bit chaotic, but it's great. It's good to be known for something. And I guess the origin story starting in college was that I liked watches. They were, uh, you know, kind of a peripheral aspirational interest. And maybe this is why when I actually got into watches as a a collector. I kind of knew exactly what I wanted, but I spent a long time on the outside looking in. These are expensive things. And, you know, even a one thousand dollar watch which would be at the lowest end of what we sell here. at you want is still beyond the reach of most people, if not the absolute reach of their means. Maybe they can't make the emotional jump to spend that much on a watch. So through my years in college and then, you know, I got out with my degree in political science and I worked for three years as a paralegal in securitization, mortgage securitization law in New York City to see if I wanted to go into law. And I decided that, you know, having basically been a paralegal in the industry that brought the world to its knees, this was about as soulless as I could get, like, you know, wholesale loans and securities based on subprime mortgages. So I kind of swung to the opposite pole and I went in the other direction at the other extreme. and I joined the Navy. I'm like, public service, you know, a cause that's bigger than me. Go for it. and originally they wanted me for aviation to actually like fly planes uh, for various physical reasons. I mentioned I had a bad knee a little bit earlier, just it didn't work out physically, but as a result, they're like, okay, well, you know, you're, you're, you're a great writer. You've like, you've submitted a couple of articles during your time in the aviation training pipeline. Why, why don't we see how you work with the public affairs team? And so, the four years of my naval career, I was with public affairs, and I i guess you could say I took a very technical and esoteric topic, naval aviation training. It's not even like the Top Gun stuff. It's like the driver's ed for the guys who will someday be the Top Gun guys. So we took that, and it's all done domestically, so you have to maintain good relations with the surrounding community. And so I would create a very emotional thread of narrative around what we were doing on the base with primary fixed wing and advanced rotary aviation training. And so for my four years, I just created that emotional bond between the machine, the men and the audience, which was our local community. And then I got out in 2013, spent a little bit of time getting my knee back in shape. And I decided, you know what, this is as close to a reset as anyone can get in life, going from the military back to civilian life. And I thought, You know, you liked watches as sort of a hobby in the military, but you couldn't really have the kind of expensive, self-indulgent hobby at the time or be associated with that world without raising a lot of questions among, you know, folks who were, you know, coming back from war. It just didn't fit with the military environment. So from the austerity of the military to the kind of superfluous luxury of the watch space, I started offering my services to companies selling pre-owned watches on 47th Street because there's no way I was going straight to the brands or the primary dealers. They didn't want to talk to someone with no resume in the watch space. The pre-owned guys were different. They were open to having me ghostwrite articles in their names, write product copy for their eBay pages for their websites, write them blogs. And after about six months I uh, reached out to Shannon Beck, president of Watch You Want, and she asked me if I would be interested in writing web copy for the current website and a new one they were developing, as well as a, a daily blog for their company. And there were possibilities, they mentioned, of also helping to build up their social media properties. Well, I said, this this is the foot in the door that I've been waiting for. Watch You Want's a big name in the pre-owned space. I've certainly considered buying watches from, in, from them in the past. And I relocated to Florida in June of 2014. And I guess this is the part where maybe people who are looking on the outside in at social media at industries that interest them who want to be social pros could probably relate i was not a watch expert when i came out of the navy a year after i got out of the navy in june of 2014 when i joined watch you want, i was not a watch expert and i don't call myself an expert now but i mean the tim of june 2014 couldn't have Spent five minutes couldn't have held up five minutes playing watch trivial pursuit against the tim of 2017 Everything I learned about watches I learned in about 20 months of teaching myself So if you have the passion for a subject And it's a passion that is consuming like if you get home at 1am you go on a forum For watches that was me if you have a passion like that for any subject you can be a social pro because you will run faster wake up earlier jump higher and want it more than other people who are competing for those opportunities and i i was that guy who was just really hungry and willing to take a chance so i joined Watchwant want in june of 2014 i prioritized video as quickly as i could i had to push them away from like blogs and articles and typeset you know Printed SEO, um, you know, written SEO video. We started slow by December of 2014. We had three 300 subscribers on YouTube. Today we have 28,800, I want to say, on our primary YouTube channel, with another 2,700 on the GovBerg channel that we created a year ago, and 2,800 on the new wrist review channel that we put up two weeks ago. So I went from college to watches with a stop in mortgages in the navy but the reason i'm here is because i loved watches and i was willing to do anything to be in that that world
1: tim that's such an amazing story and i just want to reinforce one thing that 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 you shared from that you know the old adage is overnight success usually takes about 10 years but i think what 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 you've articulated and i think the takeaway i get is that You've been able to do all this in just a couple of years, not, notwithstanding the, the, the creative and the storytelling and the writing and and the communications talents that you've been growing since, uh, since you were, you were a young child, but you have been able to accomplish this. And I think this shows any of us with the right passion and enthusiasm, um, we can, we can do just, just about anything. So, so, so thanks again. And, uh, I know that's probably a perfect segue, Jay, for our last
0: two big questions. The two big questions that we ask every guest here on Social Pros, this is episode 267. Tim, if you could give people one piece of advice, people who are looking to become a social pro, what that would that advice be? I think certainly you said kind of do what you love, but that's not always realistic, I don't think, for everybody uh, in the business. Not everybody um, can can go work in the industry that they have a huge passion for. People don't always have a huge passion for. B two B enterprise software or whatever the case may be. Of course, uh, of course. So, so what would be? Is that what you're saying? Well, you Adam does. Adam does, not everybody else. What would be? What would be your other tip? Honestly, I
2: would say, in addition to having a consuming passion and making that your focus. You have to be able to take risks and make sacrifices for that passion. When I came out of the Navy, I couldn't walk around the block. And I spent the better part of six months just getting my knee back in shape where I could walk the block on 47th Street in New York City and sell my services. So I was singularly driven to make this happen no matter what. And a big part of my physical rehab was based on just the motivation to get out there and start trying to make this dream a reality. But I also lived off of savings for that first year and a half because writing for, you know, pre-owned vendors in 47th street, you know, I was living in New York and I was getting paid sometimes as little as $15 for a blog article. Like I was, I was able to mass produce because I would spend You know, 15 hours a day working on these projects for almost nothing, you know, all the while seeing my savings diminish, diminish, diminish. And to me, that was a a sacrifice and a risk I was willing to take. I don't think there are any comfortable routes to a dream job. And for a lot of people, a career in social media, like being a social pro, being known in your community as an authority, being regarded, having people both inside, for me, inside the primary new watch industry and the pre-owned industry, ask me questions and use my hands-on videos for training. That doesn't happen unless I make the decision at step one of a thousand step journey to take risks, make sacrifices, do things that are maybe not pleasant, easy, or fruitful, and do them for a long time without clear payoff. So yeah, find something you love, but find something you love enough to to sacrifice to achieve.
0: Yeah, I love that idea that, that there's no easy path to your dream job. I, I couldn't agree more. And there's a lot of people who, who just want to sort of show up and say, okay, I want to be in charge of social media for this huge company. Uh, and it doesn't typically work like that uh sometimes it does but typically it doesn't and you gotta you gotta push a little harder so i love i love your story last question uh for you tim is if you could do a skype call or in your case maybe a i don't know google hangout or a youtube live something call. on youtube something on with any living person who would it be and why is there some sort of like watch guru that you would want to have an interaction with or somebody else well I-
2: before I answer that I just want to throw this out there if you love social persist with it because in our first six months of what you want video We gained 300 subscribers. I gained 350 subscribers on my primary channel last week so you got to stay at it, too. So I just yep. want to throw them yep. into two people I would love to Skype with. And I'm throwing them out there because they're opposite ends of the spectrum. One is my cousin, Terrence. He is the person who I identify with most closely because he's also a writer. I've always identified myself first as a writer, a conveyor of ideas, a communicator, spoken or written. He doesn't focus on the tames, same type of stuff that I do. But because he's a creative writer, a poet, and he defines himself as such, he and I are on a frequency like no one else. So talking with Terence is a pleasure because I feel like that's the closest thing I have in the world to a brother, someone who thinks like I do, who has the passion and the drive like I do for very esoteric subjects and the ability to communicate it. And otherwise, I would like to have a Skype call with uh, Buck Dharma, uh, Donald Roser is his real name. He's the lead guitarist for the Blue Oyster Cult. And he was the primary songwriter of all their greatest hits. Lead guitarist wrote most of their most popular music. And he's a person who is in an expressive and creative field. I, I absolutely worship the work he's, he's produced. And I would love to hear a perspective on sustaining the passion and drive for a vocation, not just a job, but a vocation and doing that. Because he's been touring for 50 years and for me that's a creative person who sustained an all-consuming passionate lifestyle built around his vocation and he's done it for five decades and i'd love to know how he sustains the drive and the passion and the focus
0: didn't see that one coming uh did did not did not predict <laughs> a blue aster cult band member uh but that is a fantastic example and we're going to include that in the show notes which everybody can find at socialprose.com we might even drop in a little soundcloud clip of a little blue oyster cult we'll have to like see that. how that how that works with the uh, editorial team tim thank you so much for being on the show it was absolute uh, fa- just a fantastic episode really terrific to speak with you congratulations on all the success adam and i are going to compare some notes uh, off air and figure out what watch we're going to buy from you
2: Oh, thank you so much. And by all means, uh, I'm a fan of Jezre LeCoultre. I do everything I can to spread the faith. So if there's any JLC that I I could possibly sell you on emotionally, uh, existentially, please just reach out to me and I will make you part of the fraternity.
0: I appreciate it. We'll do it next time in Miami. I'm going to come hang out with you and and do some, uh, you know, looking at your videos and, and gazing at watches.
2: Okay. And if it's not a JLC, that's good too. vive la la difference
0: we love it (laughs) see you next time ladies and gentlemen this is social pros thanks for listening to social pros please leave a review and subscribe on itunes or on your favorite podcast listening app go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits social pros is sponsored by convince and convert salesforce marketing cloud and by yext and is produced by my team and i at convince and convert media If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceaconvert.com.